The Canadian Taxpayers Federation says federal employees are out of touch and are asking for too much while Canadians are struggling to make ends meet. The CBC wants 12-year-olds to read a book about a transgender teen who takes a job moonlighting as a drag queen at a local club. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau told NATO officials privately that Canada will never reach the 2% military defense spending target set by the alliance, according to leaked documents obtained by the Washington Post. The Independent Press Gallery is calling on Alberta NDP leader Rachel Notley to commit to allowing independent journalists to cover her campaign events after security removed two journalists from a recent press conference of hers. Hello Canada, it's Thursday, April 20th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel. And I'm Lindsay Shepard. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation heavily criticized the demands made by the Public Service Alliance of Canada, saying federal employees are, quote, out of touch, unquote, and are asking for too much while Canadians are struggling to make ends meet. The federal director of the CTF, Franco Terrazano, says, quote, these bureaucrats are living a privileged life, and now they want to take billions more from taxpayers who are worried about making their mortgage payments and struggling to afford gas and groceries. PSAC demanded up to 47% compensation increases over three years, according to the Treasury Board of Canada Secretariat. That would cost taxpayers $9.3 billion. 312,825 federal employees received a pay raise during the pandemic, according to the CTF. Another 74,925 public employees made more than $100,000 per year which is up from 43424 since Prime Minister Justin Trudeau took office. The average pay for a full-time federal employee is $125,300. That includes a pension and benefits, according to the Parliamentary Budget Officer. PSAC strike enters its second day today, and Canadians can expect disruptions for passports, licenses, certifications, new benefit requests, and increased wait times when accessing federal services during the strike. Lindsay, when we add up all the numbers here, it really is quite mind-blowing. I mean, when we think about the fact that most Canadians, you know, they're making an average of about $54,000 per year. Public service employees of PSAC are making far more than that, with the average pay being closer to $100,000. And we're already seeing a huge jump in employees that have made, you know, closer to $43,000, which is a much smaller amount of money. But then again, close to the federal average. Of course, that would be harder to live off nowadays, but... In the last 10 years since the Trudeau Liberals have been in office, we've seen a massive jump of about $60,000 in salary increase, and still that isn't enough. What's your take on this? Right. I don't think it's wrong to say that these individuals who are part of the union do have privileged working lives. A lot of people who work outside of public service do not have things like pensions and benefits. Um, And when you work for the federal service, No matter your performance, you're getting your raise. And I'm sure that we've all heard anecdotal stories about, you know, people who work for the government who just don't have a lot to do all day and they end up on Facebook. Um, You know, I I mean, it's anecdotal, but I'm sure we all have heard stories from people who work in that sector. Something interesting I saw online, some commentary I saw was some people were saying, you know, you can be upset at the public service and you can call them greedy. Or maybe you can be upset that you yourself are not making this much. Maybe you should go to your employer and try to secure a raise during this inflationary crisis, this cost of living crisis that we're seeing. 
which is, I think, a fair perspective to consider. But I'm having a hard time believing that these employees are not making ends meet. You know, certainly everyone has to sort of buckle down a little bit right now. Maybe it means you, you know, can't take that extra trip that you would like to take this year, or you have to rein in some spending at the mall a little bit. I think all of us are looking for ways to sort of rein in that spending. And I just am not convinced that these employees are not making a livable wage. In addition to that, they're also being paid out of the public coffer. And so I think that when you're being paid out of the civil service and, you know, taxpayers are funding your salary, I think that you need to look at it with a fair bit of discretion and consider how much the Canadian taxpayer is already spending on your salary and is spending on the civil service as a whole and really decide if you think it's warranted to ask them for more money. And if you feel super dissatisfied with the money that you're making, maybe it's time to go into the private sector. Maybe it's time to start your own business. I love listening to Dave Ramsey. He has great financial advice. And a lot of times he'll tell people, your job is the problem here. Maybe you just need to think of a more creative way to make more money. And one thing about this union, if you actually read through the document for you know what PSAC is demanding, it's very infiltrated by social justice and, and kind of woke ideology. They straight up say they want to implement a social justice fund um, I have no idea what that would be for. They straight up say they're going to mandate diversity and inclusion and unconscious bias training for every single employee. And they have this strange initiative where uh, employees who self-identify as Indigenous will get a five-day paid leave every calendar year to engage in traditional practices such as hunting, fishing, and harvesting. So there's a five-day paid leave every year for Indigenous employees because these are their traditional practices. Um, Hunting, fishing, and harvesting are not Indigenous practices. These are human practices. This is how humanity um, has gotten as far as it has. Every single human who lived since time immemorial has hunted, fished, and harvested. So I'm struggling to see how that would be specific to Indigenous people. On April 13th, CBC Books promoted Canadian transmasculine author C.A. Tanaka's book, Baby Drag Queen, as being for ages 12 and up. CBC Books describes the book as, quote, Ichiro is a transgender youth in his final year of high school. A budding drag queen, he takes a second job performing drag at a local club and learns of an upcoming contest where the prize money would be enough to pay for a camper van but nobody knows he does drag. This isn't the first time the CBC has pushed radical gender ideology. In March, CBC News put out a segment titled Queens and Kids in Class, an honest conversation about drag, gender, and dress-up, which featured adults wearing drag discussing LGBTQ culture with schoolchildren. The drag queen's public social media profiles included erotic and sexually explicit photos. CBC Kids also published a video in which kids explain drag and why they do it. So, Rachel, this seems to be part of a trend of, you know, the CBC always promoting drag queens to children. Uh, Do you think they're right or wrong for promoting this book? What do you think? No, this is disgusting. I think this is immoral. I think there's no reason that kids need to be reading about this for ages 12 and up. This should be something that's for kids much older I'm thinking back to my education when I was in elementary school. Seems like a radically different time in society. It was really not that long ago, maybe about a decade ago, but things have changed so much in that time. We didn't even have, you know, sex education until we were in high school. And obviously I wasn't in high school until grade 12. So I would have been very confused 
reading a book like this at the age 12, I, I don't think I would have fully understood what it was about or what it meant. And we've just drastically changed in society to a point where now it's expected that kids understand these really sexual ideas at such a young age. And Lindsay, you wrote a really excellent column about how drag queens are sort of sexual in nature and how you can't even seem to look one up on Instagram without finding sexually explicit material and photos and content. And so I absolutely see no reason why we'd be pushing this onto kids age 12 and up. And I absolutely think it's perverted that the public broadcaster who's being funded by taxpayers, many of whom disagree with the gender ideology that we're seeing in schools, is paying for this, is spending our money on something like this. Yeah, I mean, the CBC can't, CBC books can't promote every single book uh, that comes out that would be for youth, but of course they would choose something like this. And I just, you know, a part of me feels like teenagers, uh, even people 12 and up, you do want to seek out reading material that's probably a little bit um, subversive. At least, at least that's how I was when I was a teenager. I read a lot. I was always trying to read things that were uh, probably not for my age group. I mean, I'm still talking about novels, but, you know, you're just wanting to feel like uh, you understand the world more than you do or whatever. But, yeah, this thing about drag queens is just something I don't... I just don't understand the hype. I just find the whole culture very unappealing. I don't know what's so exciting about a storyline like this, you know, like, oh, performing drag at a local club, and then the person is trans. But I've been told by articles throughout the years, by, you know, leftist outlets, maybe all mainstream outlets, that transgenderism and drag are very separate, and people who do drag usually aren't trans. So... Um, I don't know, but either way, I'm not really interested in reading this book, so. Exactly. I hear your point about wanting to read ahead of your grade level. I think that usually the most intelligent kids do rate above their grade level, I think, at an early age. That's how you can sort of establish a learning precedent for yourself. I do see a bit of a separation there when it comes to, you know, more sexual content or content that's challenging gender norms. Oh, I feel very radical left wing even saying that term. But, um, you know, I think parents and, and educators need to be careful what they're presenting to young minds and being aware of how it can impact young minds that may not be ready for the material that we're reading. And so it's great to read above your grade level. But this is where I would draw the line on that. I would not be comfortable with my kids picking up this sort of material. And I absolutely hear your point about it not being an appealing culture. I've never been to a drag show. I have absolutely no desire to go. I will never go. And, you know, if people want to go and that's their entertainment for adults, fine. You do your thing. But the issue here is now that we're putting this in front of kids and we're presenting to this to kids and trying to attract kids to this lifestyle. And that's where I draw the line and say, this is very bizarre. What is with the push of making our kids see this type of thing, of making our kids attend drag shows and this obscene push for Drag Queen Story Hour? It's gone too far and it's concerning. I think we need to protect our young minds. And CBC News, that starts with you. Pull this book. This is ridiculous. Leaked Pentagon documents reveal Prime Minister Justin Trudeau told NATO officials privately that Canada was never going to meet the commitment it previously made to the alliance to spend no less than 2% of its GDP on defense. Despite planned increases to Canada's defense by the Trudeau government, Canada ranks among the lowest spenders within NATO as a share of national GDP. The leaked documents also cite multiple points of tension between Canada and its NATO allies. Germany, Turkey, and other NATO countries express concerns with Canada's military capabilities. When asked about the report on Wednesday, Trudeau defended Canada's defense spending. Here's what that sounded like. 
Did he tell NATO officials Canada will never meet its 2% military defense spending target? I continue to say and will always say that Canada is a reliable partner to NATO, a reliable partner around the world, and uh, with our military investments, with the support we give to Canadians, we will uh, continue to be doing that. But, did you, but about the 2% target, what did he communicate to NATO officials? Uh, we will continue to be uh, working on investing in, uh, in giving the support necessary to, uh, to the men and women of the Canadian forces to deliver, whether it's in uh, Latvia, whether it's uh, in NATO operations around the world or UN operations. Canada continues to be uh, a partner that is much sought after, and that's why uh, we're so pleased that we've invested uh, increases in about 70% through our strong, secure, engaged in defense, uh, defense spending. We've uh, moved forward on modernization of NORAD. We're going to continue uh, to be there to make sure that the women and men of the forces have the tools they need. Merci beaucoup. This story to me is peak Justin Trudeau. Of course, we can find money to spend on everything. We can find money for CBC to promote drag queen books for children, but the government can't seem to find the money to spend on the one thing we actually need to be investing in, which is, of course, our military. This, again, makes us look ridiculous on the international stage. Trudeau has had many public embarrassments on the international stage, and I think this is really just another one. And I think it's connected to a larger issue of military readiness, Because if you look at articles throughout the years, even in the past decade, there's been stories about how the Canadian forces, a lot of them are failing fitness tests. A lot of them are are not fit to be deployed. um, And the standards are just kind of lowering. And we also recently opened applications to join the forces to permanent residents. So, you know, that means we don't even have enough Canadian citizens who are willing to fight for the country. And... Maybe that makes sense. Maybe a lot of people, a lot of young people just don't see value in sacrificing their body for Canada in, in, yeah, literally putting their life on the line for their country. Maybe that's just not something they feel deeply about anymore. I think that's a really good point. And I'm personally not terribly surprised. I think we've a lot of, I think as a nation, we've lost a lot of our sense of pride and our sense of nationalism. Um, which isn't really surprising to see when we see how divided we are as a country, you know, more divided than ever. Our political discourse is no longer civil. People don't come into discussions with the best intentions about the other side and really seeking to understand. Nowadays, people are really just seeking to attack and shove their own viewpoint down other people's throats. But this story here, this has already been an issue for a couple of years. I mean, back in 2019, then U.S. President Donald Trump called Canada slightly delinquent compared to other NATO allies in, you know, meeting defense spending targets. So this is something that's been problematic for a while. The government has had the opportunity to correct course, but of course they've chosen not to do so and instead to spend on everything else under the sun. After security removed two journalists from a recent Alberta NDP press conference, the Independent Press Gallery is calling on Alberta NDP leader Rachel Notley to commit to allowing independent journalists to cover her campaign events. In the open letter dated April 19th, Independent Press Gallery president and True North journalist Andrew Lawton called on Notley to take a stand for press freedom by ensuring access for all media outlets. The letter reads, quote, Independent journalism is vital to a healthy Canadian media sphere and reporters should not be blacklisted simply because they don't work for large government-subsidized media organizations. The letter is also signed by representatives of the Western Standard, Rebel News, True North, and The Countersignal. On Monday, Notley had reporters Kian Bexty from The Countersignal and Rebel News 
Alex Dollywall, forcefully removed from a presser by private security. All True North journalists are accredited with the Independent Press Gallery of Canada. Well, Rachel, do you think Notley will commit to allowing these, allowing all journalists to cover her press events? Do you think this will be persuasive to her? No, I don't think this is going to be persuasive to her. I actually don't even think she's going to respond to the letter. And I don't think mainstream media reporters who are being given access to her events are even going to ask her about this letter. So she isn't going to be forced to respond to it publicly as another political leader, really any other political leader would be forced to do if a group of people had written an open letter about an issue that was ongoing. So it's probably going to take a while to get a response on this until maybe an independent journalist is able to gain access to one of her press conferences and actually secure an answer from her. But I think that Notley has made her decision to ignore independent media and to ignore the free press as a result. And I think mainstream media doesn't care. They don't like the competition and I don't think they're going to ask her or press her for an answer on this because they also like to ignore us and other independent organizations. Well, and the hypocrisy is so blatant here because... You know, Rachel Notley wrote on Twitter on April 16th that leaders with nothing to hide actually answer questions from the media. Um, But here she is not answering questions from the media. So does that mean she has something to hide? You know, she was going, this is all kind of with the background of um, Danielle Smith, Premier Danielle Smith, wanting to take only one question at future press events so that she can have a greater variety of questions from more journalists. Um, the NDP went hard against her for that, saying that this is, you know, a violation of press freedom. Um, but here we are where Rachel Notley is blocking people from even accessing her events. So the, the hypocrisy is so blatant. The hypocrisy with Rachel Notley is blatant, but also with the mainstream legacy media. I think there's times when it's so obvious that they actually are incredibly biased and that they're advocating for one party over another. And I think that this whole incident has been evidence of that. They have been hammering Alberta Premier Danielle Smith over her decisions to limit questions for reporters at press conferences. And they have been absolutely silent on the treatment of independent media who are being fully barred from press conferences, not even being limited to questions. And even with their headlines that they've written, one the other day said Alberta Premier rolls back part of the government's media question restriction policy. What actually happened is the press gallery here in Alberta had sent a letter to the Premier And she had just sort of clarified that multiple reporters from outlets are welcome to attend. Typically at a news conference, you'll see more than one CBC reporter, for example. And, you know, two reporters from the same outlet are welcome to ask a question. So the legacy media here decided to frame that as a rolling back, which I didn't actually see a change in policy. I just saw that she had provided more information on exactly what her intentions were. But these are the types of headlines we see from them. So I think the hypocrisy is absolutely blatant with the legacy media when stories like this happen. And it's frustrating because independent media is being blackballed from Notley's press conferences and Albertan citizens, you know, Canadians as a whole are being restricted on their access to information and conservative Albertans are not receiving answers to questions that they think is important. So really the leader of the opposition has decided she's not going to speak, she's not going to speak to an entire group of the population, which I think is really sad and shameful. Well, that's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media. You can do that over at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.